0: Welcome, everyone, to Sam's Sports Podcast. Today is uh, Wednesday, March 23rd, 2016. Just happens to be my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad, if you're listening. Um, I'm going to welcome to the show another one of my favorites, whom I love, my very good friend, who is the executive director of Smith Street Stage doing Shakespeare and other works in the park in Brooklyn. If you haven't visited their website, you should, smithstreetstage.org. Did I mention smithstreetstage.org, smithstreetstage.org? Did I say smithstreetstage.org? I'm going to say it again, smithstreetstage.org. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just hyping up my guest for today, my very good friend, Went to school with him, longtime buddy of mine, and of course a gigantic Spurs fan, which is the impetus for having him on the show today. We need to talk about the heavyweight title fight that was the Spurs-Warriors game the other day. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Hopkins.
1: Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much. Thank you for the Smith Street Stage shout-outs. By the way, Sam, do you know the, the last cast that we were in... Much Ado About Nothing won an award for Best Ensemble for the New York Innovative Theater Awards.
0: You know, I heard something about that. Could you tell me just yeah. a little bit more?
1: Well, Sam, uh, Sam, your host, listeners, oh. uh, played Baraccio and I played Don John. And so we had a few scenes together, and, and it won New York Innovative Theater Awards for Best Ensemble. Uh, and the production won a New York Innovative Theater Award for uh, Outstanding Revival. So we were able to start off a new workshop series. And the first mm-hmm. of those that we did was a workshop presentation of Strindberg's Miss Julie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Beth Ann, who you know, who is yeah. my wife, who is yes. three stages artistic director, played Miss Julie. It was a very compelling Miss Julie. Nice. And so the, the grant that came with those awards allows us to do that. We'll also be doing a work, workshop of The Rover in August, directed by Maddie Barish. And we'll be Ooh. workshopping uh, an original adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which we'll be doing in the fall. Well, so yeah, it's an exciting time. But now it's... it's all Tempest, Sam. We got Tempest in the summer. We got dude. Tempest coming up this summer. Beth Anne directing. So, dude, you got a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. Also, real quick before I forget, I'd like to say that uh, my dad's birthday is on Friday. What? It's the twenty fifth.
0: Oh really? You know that happens yeah. to be my wife's birthday.
1: Your wife's birthday's the 25th?
0: Yeah, that's correct, March 25th.
1: A lot of birthdays this week for what we're close to.
0: Yeah, man, we just hopped into the cycle of the Aries, man. Yeah, I guess, I guess we did.
1: <laughs> did <laughs> you say well, so?
0: well I, I, I know a couple of things about these, you know, signs, as they call them sometimes. Right. I, you know, I, I do a little bit of the staring at the stars here and there. I don't hold much stock in it, but, you know, I, I, I follow the stuff good to know that you know we've got a lot of parents birthdays and wives birthday or at least my wife's birthday your wife's birthday is not this week um dude thank you for briefing me on everything that's going on i'm always excited to hear new things that are happening and and i uh i'm glad that you know things are trending upward for smith street stage
1: they are they really are it's an exciting time for us
0: uh but we have to get down to brass tacks what we talk about here on sam sports podcast let's just So, Spurs-Warriors, this happened. This was a heavyweight title fight, and it went down to the wire, and it did not disappoint. No, it did not. Jonathan, go right into it. What first reactions?
1: Uh, The first reaction, to use the cliche, it it played like a playoff game, Mm -hmm. I thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I thought even in the second quarter, uh, the teams were killing themselves. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Steve Kerr got a technical foul, what, in the first quarter? Yeah, and
0: I was watching that. It almost... Like uh, yeah, you. Know, part of me was like, I don't really know if it was something to get that riled up about, but it felt like he kind of needed to get riled up to show his team he was riled up.
1: Yeah, it's a, it was a message technical, like coaches often do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a, a that's what it seemed like to me. Because no, it wasn't something to get that riled up about. But I thought it was sort of sending the message that they were they were going to compete in this game, and I thought they did. Oh, yes. I thought they didn't have uh, Golden State didn't have a lot of their top players. Yes. Playing. Um
0: can and now I, I, to confirm we were missing Bogut, we were yes, missing Iguodala
1: and Festus Azili. Uh-huh.
0: And that's uh-huh. yo and you you know Iguodala brings something to the table so when you're missing that piece, you know, it's tough to beat a team like the Spurs. Maybe you can get away with a win against the Orlando Magic or the Milwaukee Bucks.
1: Right. Um but but uh but I thought Golden State clearly wanted the win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Steph and Draymond and Clay all got close to 40 minutes. Yeah. More than their season averages. Yeah. Um, so I thought that they, or maybe not for Draymond. Draymond might have been right around his season average. But I thought they clearly wanted the win. And I thought San Antonio, and I was a little surprised by this, showed Golden State, this is what we're going to do to try to beat you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Tactically. Mm-hmm. Um and I I had read a lot of people online who were saying that they didn't think Popovich would do that. They yep. thought that if Popovich had a, a blueprint. Yep. We were not going to see it until Game One mm-hmm. of their of their seven game series. Uh, but that was not the case. Popovich had a blueprint, and he showed it. And for one night at least, it worked.
0: Yeah. And this is this is really something that uh, that came out in that game, and you know I'm gonna gonna tell my audience members right now, uh, Jonathan, I'm gonna show your hand a little bit. So much of this conversation was was uh, stimulated by the fact that Jonathan sent me and a and a handful of his uh, uh, close personal circle of friends a complete analysis and breakdown of this game. Okay, and the thing that Jonathan just mentioned is just the first of many points he went into about this game, and which is one as Greg Popovich, you know, showing a little bit of his hand. And I want to dip that right into your next point, which has to do with Tim Duncan. So Tim Duncan only played eight minutes in this game. Yeah. He only recorded one point. Um, And you had certainly discussed this earlier in the season, I believe on the last podcast we had about two months ago. And it's coming back all over again now. uh, The fact that Golden State could put San Antonio in a situation where they essentially had to bench Duncan and he would become a defensive liability, and that's where they were in this particular game, but I think you can discuss a little bit about how San Antonio didn't exactly miss that much of a beat with Duncan on the bench.
1: No, they didn't. I mean, you know, uh, in 2013, Pop would play Tiago Splitter at the end of games over Mm -hmm. Duncan, in certain situations and have Mm -hmm. Duncan on shit in games. Um, And it was basically because Tiago was faster or or like, you know, faster side to side was quicker side to side, just like LaMarcus is quicker side to side and Boris Mm -hmm. Dion quicker side to side. And I didn't think this at the beginning of the season and maybe I'll have to go back and listen to our, our first podcast to see if I was, if I had mentioned anything about it then, because it was around that time I came around to thinking that I thought Golden State could play Duncan off the court by putting him in a pick and roll. Mm-hmm. So if Duncan, I mean, I know Iguodala didn't play, but if Duncan is guarding uh, Draymond or Duncan is guarding Iguodala or Harrison Barnes mm-hmm. and have that player set the screen, Duncan wouldn't be quick enough to, to hedge or show on Steph Curry, the ball handler, and he wouldn't be quick enough to do that and also stop the roll to the basket from the player who would set the screen. And so that whoever Duncan was guarding, they just bring him out to the three-point line and pick and roll and pick and roll and pick and roll. And Duncan is one of the best defensive players in the NBA if he can hang around the rim. Yeah. yeah. So and,
0: I mean, do you think that this was – do you think Golden State did that? Do you think they ran him off the floor? Or do you think this was more of a product of, you know, just he wasn't a right fit for the matchups in the game? I think, uh,
1: you know, without Bogut – without Bogut out – Um. Because that's the thing. I don't think. I don't think Golden State missing Bogut and missing Azili is actually that big of a deal. I think mm-hmm. missing Iguodala is a big deal. I completely but, agree. But Bogut, if Bogut's out there, Duncan can play because Duncan can guard Bogut, and mm-hmm. it's sort of the same with Azili. Now, Mo Spates is, is, is you know, shoots outside shots, and of yeah. course, Draymond is a whole, a whole other beast. Yeah. So I think when they saw when when with those guys being out, with Bogut being out. They said that, okay, we're, we're going to have to start, San Antonio said we're going to have to start small. Yeah. Um, and so Aldridge at center and then Boris Diaw as the other big. Yeah. Um, and then and Duncan just played uh, played the backup role, played the role that Boris usually comes in. Yeah. So, you know, come in at the end of the second quarter or at the end of the first quarter um, and then play at the beginning of the second quarter and not, mm-hmm. and not come back in. So the, I thought it was, a, it was sort of a preemptive measure. Now, in the playoffs, if they play again in the playoffs and Bogut is starting, I think Duncan will probably start. But I think it might, it might play out like the Cleveland series last year, which is both teams start big, and as the series goes on... Understand
0: uh, that they need to get smaller.
1: Yep, they, and they go, they go small.
0: And, you know, we certainly saw a degree of that. I mean, not having Bogut and Azeely. You know, Sort of automatically thrust the Warriors into a little bit of that small ball type of lineup, which naturally right. put Duncan on the bench. And, you know, but then the Spurs have these secret weapons. So, well, they're not really secret, but Diao. I mean, you said it. Right. Diao has not really played the level of minutes that he played in this particular game, but it was right. it was season. vintage Diao.
1: It was. Uh, He got everything he wanted against Harrison Barnes. Everything
0: was looking great. He looked like two years ago winning the championship
1: Spurs Diao. Right. Um, And if Iguodala's in there, maybe it's different because maybe Iguodala's guarding Diao, but I think Mm -hmm. Diao could still post him up. I agree. Um, I think you're still going to see
0: Diao's threat from uh, down low and his passing abilities creating problems for the
1: Warriors. Yes. And if they put Harrison on Kawhi, I think Kawhi will post... Harrison, Bar- I think whoever Harrison Barnes is guarding is going to get posted up. Yeah. Um, and on Saturday, that was DeAw and Aldridge sometimes. And whenever they had him on him, they went, they went down in the post and they, they bullied him. Yeah. And I think that's what they're going to try to do because they can post up Aldridge and DeAw and Kawhi are all quick enough to sort of guard those switches, at least yeah. short, at least short term, end of shot clock types, type stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. But all of them
1: can post up.
0: And they're all, you know, the Spurs, these players, their abilities and how the Spurs are coached and played, they're sort of structured in a way to particularly fight this Warriors team. You know, I think yes. some of the greats on the Warriors, the, the, the Steph Curry, the Klay Thompson, the Draymond Green, you know, with the exception of Draymond Green, I don't think they're known for their, uh, for their brutish physicality. These guys are not known as bangers. No. And, you know, you're thinking of getting physical with some of them. I I mean, you know, I don't want to sort of jump the gun here, but I believe in uh, one of your analysis, you really discussed uh, Danny Green and his defense uh, on the court and how much he meant for the Spurs in sort of containing the backcourt of the Warriors. Um, Do you want to speak a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, he played Steph really well. It was the first time Steph Curry had, had a three-point attempt blocked all season. Or wow. I heard that somewhere. Um, I mean,
0: that's saying something in itself.
1: Yes. Uh, and I think he he um, he fought through screens. And actually, Parker did too. Parker I, and, and even Patty Mills. I mean, I think that's the – if there is a formula, Sam, I think that's it, right? So it's like mm-hmm. you're not going to put one guy on Steph for 40 minutes. But – if Danny Green takes 20 of those minutes and Parker takes 10 and Mills takes 10 or something like that, then, you know, you, you can, that's the primary assignment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's another thing I noticed when Parker was on the floor, a lot of times he wasn't bringing the ball up the court. It would yeah. be I bringing the ball up the court Kawhi. and Parker would go to the, the sideline to the corner three mm-hmm. side three point and just sort of hang out there. And, and, so and it say,
0: benefited him. I saw him hit a couple
1: of those corner threes. Yeah, he can hit him from there, and he can even hit him a little bit above the break, from the top of the key, you know, above the top of the key. He usually doesn't shoot him from there. But those short threes, he'll yeah. usually take those and, and, and make them at a pretty good percentage. That's in his game now, that corner yes, three. Yes, absolutely. And so uh, Danny Green's defense, uh, and he did this very well in, you know, the, the series against Miami in the finals. Uh, both of those years played Wade pretty well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to even sometimes draw LeBron on a switch but I I think you know he's 6-6 he's got a little length he's pretty quick and he's pretty good about not fouling mm-hmm. and so I think he that that seems to that seems to be the what they're going to go to which is Danny's he, the primary assignment of Curry's defender is going to be Danny Green. Okay. And at least in the fourth quarter, again, I didn't rewatch it or anything, but it seemed like Kawhi was guarding Draymond a lot. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and Sam, I think that makes things hard on Draymond, because I don't know if Draymond can score on Kawhi. You know, this kind of brings me back to this point
0: of, you were discussing a little bit of this bully ball. uh, Yes. With the sort of bigger, you know, I think about it, and I think in the playoffs – A big part of this is matchups. When it comes to a seven-game series where you're coaching, you have to do sort of make adjustments between games. All of a sudden, it makes me wonder, do the Warriors match up as well with the Spurs? You know, when you think of Kawhi Leonard, LaMarcus Aldridge, Boris Diaw, you know, I think of those three, and then I pit them against the Warriors with Draymond Green, Harrison Barnes, and Andrew Bogan. I'm like, actually, it sounds like the Spurs are
1: winning those matchups. Yeah, I think... I think the Spurs are going to do what Cleveland tried to do in the finals. Mm-hmm. And I think the Spurs are better. I don't yeah. think that means they're, they're going to win because yeah. I think Iguodala makes a big difference. Yeah. And another thing about this strategy is that the, the margin of error is very slim. Like the Spurs are not going to win any blowouts playing this way. No no, 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 no. This was a low down.
0: scoring game. The final score
1: I think was like eighty seven to seventy nine or something. Yeah, it was what it was. And and the Spurs don't shoot a lot of threes and they don't get to the free throw line very often. So they're not getting a lot of easy points. Mm-mm. It's Mm-mm. gonna be a bunch of post up for two, post up for two, and post up for two. Mm-hmm. And so even when the game goes very well for the Spurs, it's still a close game. And you know, to go um,
0: you know, I really and
1: so go ahead, go
0: ahead. No, please, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, so the the margin of error is very slim. Because even if the Spurs execute this game plan perfectly, there's still a couple of three-pointers on fast breaks from Golden State from the game being tied Mm -hmm. or losing the game. So the margin of error here is very, very slim. But I do think there's the potential of, of, if you make this a a physical series, can you wear Golden State down? Mm -hmm. Because Golden State, Sam, has this lineup of death, right? And it's Draymond at the center. Barnes and Iguodala at the forwards, and Clay and Steph at the guards. Correct. But they, they use this lineup very sparingly. They'll use it in fourth quarters of close games. Mm-hmm. They'll use it in their comebacks against the Clippers or against the Thunder. And I think the fact that they use it so sparingly is an admission of what everyone says, which is playing small wears your guys down. Yeah. Playing small, like Shane Battier retired at 35 or whatever because he had been playing power forward for the Heat, and he got worn down. And wow. And Ron has said that like he doesn't like playing power forward. Paul George this year didn't want to play power forward. Yeah. It's hard on guys. And, and, so and I,
0: especially when they're, when those players are in that position, it's like again and again and again, they're guarding guys who are bigger than them.
1: Yes. And if you have to do that for six games in a row or seven games oh, in a you're row, you're going to feel it. Part of San Antonio's strat- strategy. And again, I'm not saying this will work, but if you if you're picking up Steph full court, which the, the Spurs mostly were doing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and you're you're posting those guys up as much as you can, and you're playing Steph pretty physical yeah. in the half court. I think what you're trying to say is after the the Warriors played till June last year mm-hmm. and after this year when they've played, you know, five months of playoff games because yeah. they're, they're chasing the
0: 72-win the season. Every game right. has been a playoff game.
1: Right. And then they, I mean, their first round series I think will probably be a sweep, but then they'll have to play probably the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. And I do not think that will be an easy series. No. So, can, can the Spurs say, can we wear this team out? And even if they can, I still don't know if that means they can win a Game 7 in Oakland. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if, if, if there's a way to do it, I think, um, surprise, surprise, Greg Popovich has found the way. He's, he's got a few ideas. Um, he to go and back, he showed, He's like, this is what we're going to do. And so we'll see. And I think there's some, some counters for Golden State. We'll see if they, um, if they make those counters in the last, last week of the regular season when these teams play twice again. Or if they just save them for uh, for what may be the best conference finals uh, <laughs> ever, <laughs> maybe I mean maybe
0: um, you know t- t- something you just said, which is a uh, kind of makes me think about these guys going into a playoff series uh, together and trying to figure out you know what Steve Kerr can do makes me think of an X factor player, and I want to ask you right now if there's an X factor player uh, now the Spurs are loaded with X-Factors in their own way. You know, Boris Diaw's an X-Factor. Danny Green's an X-Factor. Patty Mills, like, they're they're in the rotation, but at any time, these guys could come off the bench and and just be dangerous. Um, right. Who would you say, sort of gut reaction, X-Factor on the Warriors right now, who you, th- like, besides Iguodala? Iguodala's the obvious one. Right. Is someone else who you think could come in and maybe change even a single game, maybe a game five in a playoff series between the Warriors and the Spurs. Anybody on the Warriors roster?
1: I would say, well, I would say if I could say an X factor that wasn't a player, Mm -hmm. it would be Iguodala and Draymond's uh, three point shooting. Okay. Because they're going to get those shots. I think the way that they're playing Steph, uh, like those, those shots are going to be there. Yeah. Um, And I I thought Draymond got some open threes. And I even wondered if the Spurs were just like, let's just give him... Like, don't don't worry about his three-point shooting. Even though I think he's around close to 40%. I I think they did. And
0: I think part of it was not that they thought he was a poor three-point shooter, but more along the lines of, at least in that game, they were willing to give him that shot. Right.
1: Um, So I would say... I guess, and maybe this is just the recency bias of seeing Saturday's game. Can I say Harrison Barnes? Sure. Because, I mean, he just looked like... I saw on Twitter someone made a joke that Harrison Barnes is going to be a max contract Jeff Green. Which is the idea that, like, hey, you look at this guy and you're like, yeah, he should be a basketball player. He should be able to play the three and the four. He should be able to defend well. He's Mm -hmm. got some ball skills. He can make three-pointers. But, uh, I mean, he just... I thought, I thought he got abused on. Um, and you know, I remember watching him in college because he played at Carolina, and Carolina is a team, you know, my college team. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It was sort of like that in college. You, he would, he sort of drifts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so, if you've got Boris Diaw taking him down at the torture chamber, yeah, or you know, Kawhi Leonard scoring on him, or, or Lamarcus Aldridge scoring on him, does that make Harrison Barnes uh, disappear? Because if I, I, I trust Iguodala. Yeah. Um, as a as a Spurs fan, Iguodala scares me. Yeah. Iguadala's out there. He scares me. But Harrison Barnes, there's the there's I feel like the potential for him to to pull a little bit of a disappearing act.
0: Yeah, and especially awesome. when you get into the playoffs and I said before, matchups, you know, sometimes you can almost right. predict who's gonna win a playoff series by just looking at the matchups. Right. And you and I both know right. coaches need to make adjustments and every single weak link gets exposed. And when you look at that lineup, Harrison Barnes might be the weakest link.
1: Yes. And if, if he is playing poorly or poorly enough, mm-hmm. does Kerr give those minutes to Sean Livingston, mm. um, who is another, I feel like, X, X factor, because he's a, a very good defender. Sean like Livingston, Livingston can't shoot the three. I no love Sean Livingston.
0: Barbosa is the guy on their team who can shoot the three.
1: Yeah, Barbosa. And, and Brandon Rush made some three-pointers. Yeah, um, he did. In, in that game, but I don't know. Like I really think by the t- if, if these two teams play in the playoffs and does go to a sixth game or a seventh game, I feel like by those sixth or seventh games for Golden State, you know Curry, Clay, and Draymond are getting forty minutes. Mm-hmm. I think Iggy's getting forty minutes, mm-hmm. and then so that doesn't give a lot of minutes left to split between uh, Bogut, Livingston, Barnes, um, James, Michael, McAdoo. Right, yeah. No, you're not seeing him. <laughs> not in game six. If, or if you are, something went way wrong. <laughs> Maybe
0: it's a blowout and he's there to finish yeah. the game.
1: And they, I mean, Golden State even put a guard in there who I would never even heard of. Um, Probably. I, for like I, for like six minutes or something like that. Uh, some the Clark. Spurs were doing it a little bit too. The Spurs put Kevin Martin in, I think, in the first half. Yeah, I, I, I
0: forgot that Andre Miller was on the team. I was like, isn't Andre Miller on the Spurs team too? Andre Miller's
1: on the team. And you could say the same thing for the Spurs. If it gets to game six or seven, I think LaMarcus and Kawhi and Danny Green are playing uh, close to 40 minutes. I agree. I think think Mills and Parker probably just split the point guard right down the middle, 24 Mm -hmm. and 24.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Just because of how exhausting that role will be. To to actually
0: Uh, be sticking to Curry and Thompson all game. Yeah,
1: and then Manu will get his 20 off the bench, and Mm -hmm. Duncan will get his 20 off the bench, and they'll play Boris until his legs fall off. I think and that would be, totally right. be it. It'll be those eight guys um, with Duncan really just being a backup. And I, So, so I, I'd say the X factor of, of that would be Barnes mm-hmm. uh, for the Warriors. And for the Spurs, I think it would be um, three-point shooting. Yeah. Because Green is having a hot streak. Mm-hmm. Their, their offense becomes very, very hard to guard. Uh, and if Green and Green and Patty Mills, too, if they're shooting three-pointers well, um, then San Antonio is capable of, of putting up, like, nine or ten quick points, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, which they're, they're not capable of doing um, if they're playing the slow, the slow pace. Which and, is,
0: you know, it's not their M.O., because they are a slower sort of paced half-court team. They're not the run-and-gun that the Warriors typically do. Um, and then three-point shooting by Danny Green can be dangerous in that scenario because if they're slogging out a low-scoring game in the playoffs, Danny Green hitting a couple of threes at the end of the game could turn the whole momentum. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, can we shift gears to LaMarcus Aldridge right now? Yes, I'd love to. Let's do this because so Aldridge clearly was, you know, Forgotten in the first matchup between these two teams. I think he even said it in the post-game interview after the game that he was still sort of finding his place on the team. Yes. Um as the season has gone on. Kudos to Lamarcus Aldridge. I think he has blossomed on this Spurs team. He's found a place to sort of fit in properly, and he has been thriving. And that was put on display ten times in this game against the Warriors, where he really, really shined. I saw what I saw. Tell me your thoughts. What jumped out at you about LaMarcus in this game?
1: I thought he was the best player on the court for that game. I agree. Um, and I thought he, he, took the, uh, he took the onus upon himself, uh, or however you want to say it, mm-hmm. to, to be the best player on the court. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I, this series may, if this series does happen, and we all hope it does, I think. I hope so. It may come down to who wins the Draymond-LaMarcus matchup.
0: Well, I, well now we talk about Draymond-Lamarcus matchup, but don't you feel like it's going to be Kawhi-Draymond for
1: the most part? Well, I think Kawhi will be guarding Draymond, but I think if... if but it's going to be Draymond guarding Lamarcus on Draymond the other side of the ball. Marcus. Mm-hmm. And whoever has, whoever has the better game of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I think, I think Steph Curry can have a better game than Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs can still win. Ooh, it might be tough. Yeah. But I think... No, that's a good point. If, if Lamarcus is outplaying Draymond... Or Dr- if Draymond is outplaying Lamarcus, then I think the Warriors are going to win.
2: Mm,
1: mm. Um, I think Lamarcus is a lot bigger. I mean, this is the this is why teams don't go small, right? Because you can get posted up and you can get out rebounded. Mm-hmm. So if there's a way to make a team pay for going small, that is the way. Mm-hmm. Draymond Green is six six or six seven, and Lamarcus Aldris is 6'11 or Aldridge is six six eleven. Aldridge is a foot. huge man. Um, and he got a lot of post ups. His jump shot was falling Mm -hmm. and he got a lot of offensive rebounds. I think Kawhi actually got more. I I forget what the stats were, but the team got a lot of offensive rebounds. And so there are a lot of times when you feel like the Spurs are sort of playing volleyball around their own rim, Mm -hmm. like getting tips and and the Warriors weren't able to secure rebounds. Mm -hmm. So that seems to be the key. Um, And I think it's important for Marcus to play well in what was unquestionably a big game. Um, Mm -hmm. And, for LaMarcus to show that at least at least one... And again, the Warriors have played a lot of games. It was the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah. Um, so those, those are factors. So I'm, I'm certainly not ready to say that LaMarcus is going to be able to do that to Draymond Green every game. Mm-hmm. But I thought the biggest takeaway from me, Sam, from their first game mm-hmm. was I thought Draymond owned LaMarcus in that game. And mm-hmm. I thought if that's the case, that's trouble. I don't know if San Antonio can win a series if that continues to happen. Mm-hmm. So to see that that's not inevitable as a Spurs fan, is very heartening. um, But I think that matchup is going to have to be won by San Antonio for San Antonio to win the series. Yeah. uh, Or it's at least going to have to be close. So they're going to have to make the Warriors pay for going small by getting shots around the rim and getting offensive rebounds.
0: And LaMarcus is going to be essential in doing that.
1: Yes. And I thought he defended well. I thought – when he got stuck on an island out around the three-point line, he moved his feet well and made it hard for Steph Curry to take some of those three-pointers. Mm-hmm. That was impressive. And again, that that seems to be the formula. And if he can if he can do that, if he can move his feet out there and make those shots contested shots, while he continues to score down low, um, and and rebound, and he's been rebounding very very well. Yeah. Then then there might there might be a chance. Okay, so.
0: Specifically, I want to ask about Aldridge and Dial guarding the perimeter. That the the ability they had to sort of create trouble for you know Curry and Thompson out there. What were some of the things you saw there, at least in regards to Aldridge's effectiveness?
1: Yeah, I thought that they because they're a li- little bit quicker than Tim Duncan. That's why they draw that assignment, and that's why Dial played. 35 minutes and Aldridge played about as many or more mm-hmm. um, because they are able to do that a little bit. I think a lot of that is you don't have to do that for a whole possession, but can you do it um, enough to, to get Curry or Thompson to pass out of that yeah. situation? Can you do it at the end of a shot clock? And
0: I saw a couple of situations where Aldridge was getting on Curry and it's not like Curry couldn't get around him, but it, it sort of disrupted the flow of the offense enough to really sort of create hesitation.
1: Right. And I thought that if it was clear that the Spurs were did not want to give up three point attempts, that they yeah. were they were asking Curry to drive. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's the counter. So that that will happen next time if they play him like that again. I think Curry will drive, and I think the Spurs are are still happy for that to happen. Um, but and the other counter, which I didn't, they didn't do that much. But when they did, was usually effective. Is I think the Spurs were usually caught because Green was on Steph, yeah, and Kawhi was on Draymond. They mm-hmm. usually had Tony Parker on Clay, Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a couple of times when Clay just drove right by him, or Clay would post him up. And I, I wonder if they go to that more often,
0: like maybe in a game two or game three of a playoff series. Yeah, they say if we're that's eating- the that's the X factor that wins the game for the Warriors.
1: Yeah, we need to pick on on Tony Parker if he's out there. Mm-hmm. And, Sam, I wonder if the Spurs go to a lineup that has Ginobili instead of Parker. Mm. So no point guard, and you just have Ginobili and Kawhi mm-hmm. doing the playmaking um, with Danny Green, Boris. I mean, Boris is also a playmaker, but you have Kawhi and, and Manu bringing the ball up the I mean, court. Just- I wonder...
0: All of them can handle the ball. That's the—they're so deadly on the Spurs because you're right. You could put Parker on the bench for a bit and and have Kawhi and and friggin' Ginobili handle the ball, and you're really not missing a
1: beat. Right. Um, and so I wonder if if they end up uh, if they end up going to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know clearly we see everything's on the table. If they're going to play Tim Duncan for eight minutes mm-hmm. in a regular season game, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're clearly ready to do put whatever combinations they need to to find um, lineups with positive margins.
0: And, you know, to their credit, the Spurs, these guys are just so good at what they do. They're not idiots. They, they understand that the team they're going to need to get through is this team. Maybe there's going to be a Clippers series or a, or a Grizzlies series that's going to be a tough slog Right. But the truth is, when they get to the conference finals, there's a 99 percent chance they're going to see Golden State. And if they're not ready to take down this Goliath, then they're never going to get anywhere. Yes. The title goes
1: through Oakland. Mm-hmm. And Every you want to get there. You got to go through Oakland.
0: And they know this. And Popovich, if anything, like you said, played this like a true chess master. He only showed so much of what he wanted to show, um, you know, if, you know, benching Duncan. I think was a little bit of a tell, but it was also it gives Pop the opportunity to give these other guys minutes and see how things work. With he's like, you know what? I think right. Diao. This is going to be an opportunity for him to really shine and win this game. And now he's got you know proof. Right. Puts him on the court. They win the game. You see the ball movement. You see the defense. You you just saw immediately the disruption that it was causing Golden State and the sheer challenge. I mean the the contest of all the three-pointers. You know, to see Steph Curry, and I believe I have it here. Let me, I got it right here. To see Steph Curry go one of 12 from beyond the arc. Right. Clearly showing that the Spurs, even though Steph Curry can shoot these unbelievable 28-foot and and 35-foot, you know, three-pointers that are essentially from half-court, it almost feels like the Spurs were the first team to be like, wait a minute, what the hell are we doing? Let's go contest him out there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's almost like a no brainer, but I mean, the Spurs were like, yeah, go do it. Oh, what do you know? He had trouble making those shots.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, those are the things that really stood out was, you know, not just the little teensy bits, but the fact that they got underneath the skin of this Warriors team. And it's, it's a start. This Spurs team is in for the long con here. Okay, they know when they lost in 2013 to the Heat that it was essentially like a year long, like just strategy to get back there so they could yeah. defeat them the next year. It's like this is the same thing with the Warriors. It's like, dude, this has been from day one. We've They've been totally figuring out how, how to take play. you apart.
1: They've totally changed how they play. Yeah, they're, they're with two. They're two bigs all the time. Although they, they, that was true last year too. They're two bigs all the time, but they're two bigs. All the time, uh, they are running much more post-ups, mm-hmm. getting much more mid-range shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking Which is a, a transition fewer... to these new people. Yeah, and so they have, and, and that happened, if you watch the 2013 finals and the 2014 finals, the Spurs, the Spurs in 2013 were not doing the beautiful game passing everywhere. It was no. a lot of pick and roll, yeah. and like a lot of Parker and Ginobili isolations. Mm-hmm. They, they sort of built that offense that 2014 finals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the idea that if you if you don't have the star power to come back at LeBron James, then you have to do it as a unit, and they had the personnel to do that. And I think they have built uh, this team, um, yeah, and the style of play with Golden State in mind. And, and it'll be fun to see if it, if it works well enough.
0: And the reality is, you know, once they get through Golden State, whoever they meet in the final, let's say for argument's sake, the Spurs go to the finals, whoever they meet in the finals is... You know that's not going to be Cleveland or, I mean, Miami. I I keep uh, Miami. Miami, you're right. They're 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 clawing their way back in. Uh, The other team, I kept saying, um, this is sort of my one. I don't know if it's a controversial thing, but I keep throwing out there. I think the Toronto Raptors are going to finish with the best record in the Eastern Conference, but
1: well, they're close, aren't they?
0: They're they're very close. I think they're only about a game and a half behind the Cavaliers. Um, but I still don't see the Raptors getting to the finals. That's that's a big step, even for uh-huh. a Raptor team. The, the depth isn't there, the record, the play. But beyond Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, I don't know how many more. They got other guys, but. The the depth isn't there, Uh, but my point is whether it's, I don't think Toronto will be there, but if Toronto or Miami or Cleveland, you know, San Antonio is built to take apart all of those teams as well. Yes. You know, which uh, it really, so the fact that they're kind of prepped to to dismantle the Warriors leaves them ready to address any type of, you know, I don't want to, any type of like hodgepodge of a team that, that LeBron drags to the finals. Right. Um, a couple more things about this, this warrior Spurs game, just cause it was such just a, a, it was like a clash of the Titans here. Um, now what are some of the things that, uh, are going to come up with the next couple of meetings? Cause as you said, these teams, I believe meet two
1: more times, both in so- the last week of the regular season. And I think the answer is nothing because wow. I don't think the Spurs can catch them. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I think the Warriors, the Spurs won't have an incentive Mm-hmm. The Warriors will probably be gunning for, uh, for 73 at that point. Mm-hmm. Which means they're going to drive themselves into the ground between now and then. I think it might. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, think, I saw uh, Steph
0: roll his ankle bad against the Thunder a few weeks ago, and I was like, I looked at it, and it was like, that was ugly. It was terrible. I feel bad. Oh, my God, the 73-win season is over. All it takes is a rolled ankle like that. He's going to miss three weeks. He missed one game and came
1: back three days later. Right. Or yeah, no. I, I watched the game, the Thunder. He came back that same game. That was the game he made twelve three points. Uh, that was he
0: came back that same game. I'm like, wow, and he's got to have some adrenaline shot. going because that ankle has got to hurt right now.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't think I don't think we're gonna see anything. I think Pop is gonna be playing Jonathan Simmons and um, and Andre Miller and Kevin mm-hmm. Martin and mm-hmm. Kyle Anderson and and he'll uh, take that loss
0: and just be like, whatever. This is a chess game. I don't want to show you too much.
1: Yeah, I, I think he'll take. I think he'll take both of those losses. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He might try to keep it close so that the Warriors have to. I mean, that sometimes happens when Pop rest guys. Is mm-hmm. the bench players play really really hard, and the game ends up being close, and yeah. the Spurs subs end up giving a good game to the other team's starters. I, mean, um, it's, it's, and so I think there may be a little bit of that. I think if he can try to hang some more minutes on Curry and, and Green and Thompson, he, he probably will. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think we're gonna I don't think we're gonna learn anything about the eventual series.
0: No, I think you're right. Um, w- which really highlights this game that we just saw. I mean, you said it in your initial analysis. this is probably one of the best sneak previews, litmus tests of what this matchup is going to be like in the playoffs.
1: Yes, um, and uh,
0: you know what? So got to chalk one up to the Spurs so far.
1: And uh, I mean, the exception is if Curry rolls his ankle and the Warriors lose three of their next five, and then the the one seed isn't play. I think if the one seed isn't play, the Spurs will try to go get it, but I don't think it will be. And if it is, it's probably only because of an injury, I would guess.
0: Uh, how much do you think the Spurs and their amazing team this year is being overshadowed by the Warriors? I mean, we just the other night when they beat this Warriors team, uh, they officially, you know, went number two for the longest, you know, home winning streak in history. It was held by the Bulls in that 72-win season, and the Warriors broke it earlier this season. But now the Spurs just broke it because they had 44 straight home wins. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Do you think I, it's a little it's... unfair that they're being overshadowed?
1: Uh, I think it's what the Spurs want. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, um, sneak up on him, baby. I think so. I think, I think the Spurs are probably thrilled with it. Um, I think, uh, you know, if the Warriors weren't going first, I, you know, if the Warriors weren't going for 70, whatever wins, I don't mm-hmm. think the Spurs would have as many wins as they do. I think the Spurs have been trying to sort of keep, keep within closing distance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, But if the Warriors didn't have that incredible record, I bet the Spurs would have three or four more losses. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Just just that almost that magic Larry Bird sort of in the offseason. They're not hanging out with each other, but they know each one of them is working just as hard to have a better record for the next year.
1: And so I I don't think, you know, sometimes you'll hear Spurs fans complain about that they don't get a lot of attention, but that is how the organization wants it. They don't want... The attention or the expectations that come with it—they just want to be playing basketball and and playing their best basketball in April, May, and June.
0: So I do think they
1: would be getting. It it might be getting more attention, but they wouldn't be getting that much attention because they figure out to deflect it.
0: Popovich loves that man. Just uh, nobody suspects him. Yeah, wants to be under the radar. Do you think there is any? any chance uh, you know I'm not saying Duncan's hurt or he's going to get shut down but do you see him sort of let's say for argument's sake that what happened in this game where he played eight minutes and he didn't get run off the court but it was sort of like you know the nature of the game put it into a situation where he didn't need to come back into the game do you see the series getting to a point where maybe it culminates in that where sort of an entire series. He kind of almost gets forgotten or gets relegated to less than 10 minutes a game. Could that happen? Against golden state? Yes. Against golden state. You think that can happen?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is sort of like the Kevin love question in Cleveland. It's like Mm -hmm. Kevin loves a great player against golden state. He's a 20 minute, a game backup. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that's true with Duncan and golden state. I think Duncan, Will start and play 30 minutes a game against Oklahoma City or mm-hmm. against the Clippers if they mm-hmm. play either of those teams. Yeah. I think he'll do the same if they play the Cavaliers in the finals if they make it past Golden State. Mm-hmm. But against Golden State, I think um, I think he will play no more minutes than Andrew Bogut. Mm. If Bogut's out there, Duncan will be out there too, mm-hmm. uh, protecting the rim. Uh, but when Bogut comes out and Draymond is the center, I don't think Duncan's on the court. Okay. So um, I think it's actually, it's actually up to Steve Kerr how many minutes Tim Duncan plays in that series. Wow. I nice. think that's what we learned in their game. And I was curious at the beginning of the season if Pop were willing to do that. Um, because, I mean, he's definitely stuck with Monty Ginobili when Ginobili's had some some bad, bad games and yeah. bad, bad stretches just because of the history and the trust. Yeah. But uh, I think uh, Pop sees it, and I think Duncan sees it too, that this is just, it's just not his series. So yes, I think... Uh, Sooner or later, if those teams play in a seven-game series, Duncan is a backup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Playing uh, back minutes. Uh,
0: Jonathan, take a deep breath, okay? Okay. Is Tim Duncan back next year?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I still think this question is the same. I mm-hmm. don't think, Sam, he has any issue coming off the bench.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I don't think he has any issue... Giving shots to Kawhi and Lamarcus, just like he didn't have any issue giving shots to Tony and Manu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it is purely a question of if the grind is still worth it to him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and health. Mm-hmm. So if his body feels okay and he's like, you know what, I can put in those same hours, I can put in the same travel, I can do all of that. I think whole will come back and do the same thing he did this year. Yeah. Which is just like protect the rim. And and I also, Sam, I'm curious to see in these playoffs if he's gonna uncork a 20 and 15 game. Yeah. Because he was doing that against DeAndre Jordan last April. Yeah. And it it's um, not out of the question at all. Not out of the question at all. And so 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 I don't know. I think I I think it, it just purely comes down to I suspect Manu is done. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been doing this Brett Favre thing of alternating a good year and a bad year and a good year and a bad year. Yeah. And this has been a good year. Yeah. And um, I. A good I, year, I, even uh,
0: with the injury to his, uh, to his testicles earlier in the season. I mean, listen, yeah. these injuries take a toll even more so when you get up there in the age bracket.
1: Yes. Um, but I, I think this is probably Manu's last year. And mm-hmm. with Duncan, it's really just a matter of uh, if, his, if he wants to put his body through it. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. Do you uh do you think do you think Duncan's gonna move into like assistant coach type role or do you think that's not his mo?
1: I don't think he will for two or three years. Okay. I think he's just gonna be hanging out with like his with his muscle cars and playing Magic the Gathering. Yeah. <laughs> Go, going, I mean, a, he I, likes that stuff. <laughs> yeah, he does. I know. Uh, and going to the islands, and I think after about two years, he will miss a, like a competitive element mm-hmm. of it.
0: Do you see him as, like, a front office guy, coaching guy, or, like, Reggie Miller, you know, TNT analyst guy?
1: I can't see him as the analyst uh-huh. because I don't think he would like it, although I think he could certainly do it as well as Reggie Miller. I, I agree. Um, <laughs> I think if it were anything, I could see him coaching because I think he enjoys – you know, there's a famous story of the Spurs. Who did they have? They signed someone on a 10-day contract, like some journeyman, like James uh, Anderson or something uh, like that. They may, signed on a 10-day been, contract. Uh, it was a uh, few years ago, I mean, I can
0: say I remember when Kevin Willis was on the championship team and didn't play, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: he was. That was the 2003 championship, you know, one, but of, was, those, was, one of those was old guys team. who
0: got a ring, like you know, Glenn Robinson or Michael Finley,
1: yes. Um, and so it's just a 10 day contract, and there's a story of him being on the bench, like explaining parts of the offense to that player. <laughs> and it's like, it's like Tim Duncan didn't realize like, that guy's only going to be there for a week. But I think there is something about him that enjoys understanding the game and knowing Mm -hmm. the game and being that kind of leader with his teammates. So I could see him being uh, an assistant coach or a Mm -hmm. coach. Yeah. Um, It's probably with that Spurs team. He's got a lot of allegiance to the franchise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he can work there whenever he wants to. So I think it's a, it's a possibility, and it's a possibility of him doing front office stuff as well because I think he knows the game really well. So yeah. it's, again, a question of if he wants to, I think he will. I don't know if he'll want to.
0: Okay. All right. That's, that's what I needed to gauge. I needed to gauge a little bit of, you know, it is it is the Tim Duncan, part of the, the majesty of him also comes with a, the clock is ticking. When are we going to say, all right, it's time? Right. Um, whew, this was, this was an awful lot. I think we do. Is there anything else we need to address with this game? Jonathan, let me think anything else that stuck out. Anybody's play impressed you anybody off of the, you know, I think I saw Kyle Anderson in the game for a heartbeat.
1: Yeah. I mean, with all those guys, it's, like, it's sort of the same, like Brandon rush and, uh, most Spates. like when you're asking X factors, by the time we're at game 5, 6, and 7 of these two teams play, and if it makes mm-hmm. it to 5, 6, and 7, um, I think, you know, to use the phrase from the godfather, like, they're going to the mattresses. hmm Like, if Kawhi and Steph and Draymond and LaMarcus can play 40 minutes, they're going to play 40. If they can play 44, they're going to play 44. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of Leandro Barbosa or Kyle Anderson. Mm-hmm. Vestas Zeljic or even David West uh, Simmons, you're
0: probably not going to see too much yeah, of him. I'm
1: not even sure he'll be wearing a uniform.
0: It <laughs> might be on the bench in a suit. Yeah, and so um, Andre Miller handing out cups of
1: Gatorade. Yeah, and so I think it's it's going to you know I don't know it it has the ch- it it has the chance to be exciting. So no, I don't think I I do. will say one thing since we've been focusing a lot on the Spurs' success. I think Iguodala, if he's in the game, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I Iggy. think the Warriors being on the second game of a back-to-back may make a difference with Steph missing a lot of those threes. Yeah. Draymond not defending Aldridge effectively.
0: Yeah, that's something, you know, we we touched on it very briefly early on, early on but it's very, very important. Uh, to, for, for everyone listening, please understand Uh, The Warriors were playing second night of a back-to-back. The night before they lost this game to San Antonio, they were in Dallas, Texas, beating up on the Dallas Mavericks. And that was actually a fairly close game. It was not an easy win for the Warriors. And, you know, I'm sure most uh, fans out there understand when you play two back-to-back games, two back-to-back games on the road, it's not as easy to hit all those shots on the second evening. And so even going into this game, I noticed that and said, you know what? this is going to be a good one because the Warriors are going to be a little tired. They're going to be a little fatigued. And the Spurs, to their credit, didn't play the night before and were a oh. little bit fresher. And they needed it more, I
1: felt like. The Spurs mm-hmm. needed this. After what happened in Oakland, the Spurs needed it more.
0: Yeah, and now to one more second to just sort of jump right off of this. A little little sort of footnote to put to this conversation was the next games that both of these teams played were rather interesting in themselves. The next game that the Warriors played... Was on the road against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Timberwolves gave him a run for their money. They had yeah, a really, really close game. To come back to win. Yeah, the I believe the Warriors were down by about twenty-three points. Or no, I'm sorry, I'm thinking what of the Spurs, Spurs? game. The
1: Spurs against the Spurs were up twenty-three against the Hornets.
0: Yeah, so the Spurs. I don't think it was uh, the immediately the next night. I think it was at least two nights later that they yeah. played. But it the Spurs totally had they, lost. they were in Charlotte, I believe, playing the Hornets. Yep. So you had the Warriors go to Minnesota, go down, and then fight their way back to pull out a close win against the Timberwolves, and then you saw the Spurs have an extremely uncharacteristic loss in Charlotte, Yeah, which, you know, is just, it's it's just more eye-opening regarding the slog of the season, the fatigue these teams go through, and that on any given night, you know, listen, somebody could have a great game and, you know... It turns the whole tide of, of exactly how the game looks and, you know, matchups, they play right into this matchups. I'm sure the Spurs had been thinking about their matchups with the Warriors for some time and have a lot of this planned out and have strategies ready to go. Eh, maybe they didn't do as much homework against the Charlotte Hornets, but then again, I don't think they're going to see the Charlotte Hornets in the playoffs.
1: I don't think so either. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, um, What we could shift gears at another point, but specifically focusing on the Sixers right now, because I I love me some 76ers, and your massive basketball mind needs to be tapped when it comes to your thoughts on the 76ers. So right off the bat, one of the biggest questions that hits me, at least personally, has to do with the big three for the Sixers. Uh, Specifically, uh, I mean Nerlens Noel, I mean Jaleel Okafor, I mean Joel Embiid. Uh My initial question is it's hard to sort of kind of get a real taste of exactly how all of these guys have been functioning together because, you know, Embiid hasn't played yet. Um, Embiid has not played a single game. He has recently, the most recent news is that he actually took a trip back to Qatar to this world-renowned sports science spa health facility out in Qatar – uh, and apparently, Embiid uh, speaks a lot of French, and they all speak French there, so he really enjoys rehabbing out at this facility in Qatar. Um, but it's a it's another step towards kind of getting him back, where they know that his foot isn't going to fall apart like a, you know, shatter underneath his weight, because he's had so many surgeries on his foot at this point. Um, but he has not played a single game. Part of my discussion here is I want to see what you think right off the bat now which one of these guys is going to be the one who gets moved, and which one of these guys is actually going to be a real piece of the team going into the future?
1: Well, I I don't guess they can move Embiid, can they? Unless he. I mean, there's there's so, nothing well, to there's actually, nothing to look at, right? Um, and this is his second year, right? This, this would have been second.
0: Second straight year that he's uh he's now sat out.
1: Okay, um, so that's a big question mark, mm-hmm. um. And then I guess, I mean, Sam, what is your impression with how Noel and Okafor fit next to each other? I mean, can one of those guys guard on the perimeter? Can mm. can one of them shoot? Because Okafor is mostly a post-up player with not a lot of defense. That's
0: that's really been the, the exposing element is that Okafor, you said it, he's a post-up player with not a lot of defense. So kind of going out to defend the perimeter – Stretching him out there—that's not his strong suit. Which uh-huh. kind of created a little bit more—I don't want to say tension—but the chemistry with he and uh, Nerlens was not as prolific because Nerlens is a little bit is clearly much more of a defensive backstop. He's right. He's not, a, hopefully someday he'll be a big body. He's not a big body at this point, Um, but he's a rebounding machine. He's a blocking machine. You're seeing his athleticism. He's one of the few players of these big three. Who's actually been on the court the longest and right. his naivete, if I will, um, is not as exposed uh, now. You know, the first year, he was clearly a little out of his element. They were losing a lot of games. Now you see his athleticism. You see him running down the court and blocking guys from behind. You see him with the alley-oop dunk. Uh, I think he's found his place as that post-presence. Now, the problem is that then when you put Okafor and you put Noel on the court together, you know, instead of getting the Tim Duncan, David Robinson... Twin Towers, you're sort of getting two guys who are trying to figure out the best way to play their respective positions. And they're, I think Noel is probably the most comfortable right now. Okafor is the one who's probably being put into a round peg in a square hole situation. And he, not that he's not finding out ways to perform. uh, He was performing very well offensively this year. Um, The games that he sat out, uh, as you you know, you may or may not heard recently. Uh, they discovered he tore his meniscus in his knee. He's having surgery on his knee. He's going to yeah. be done for the rest of the season. um But uh, right away, as soon as he started sitting out, you know, you noticed the effect on the team. You noticed the lack of offense. Uh, right. you, you noticed um his presence on the court was different. And you know, they've got to fill that in with other guys and. You know, with the Sixers having as few players on the team as it is right now who who are not D league guys, if you know what I mean, um, right. it's tough to sort of fill in that gap at all. Um, right. So I think it's tough because these two guys are not necessarily being put in a scenario where they're figuring out ways to complement one another. It's just neither of their games are there yet, and the team isn't there yet either. Um, but I think. Offensively, Okafor is really the guy who's got much more of a game now. I see him having much more of an upside than a Nerlens Noel, and Nerlens Noel feels more like the defensive guy. The big wild card here is Embiid because let's say Embiid comes back and ends up being better than Okafor, you know, oh. and then you sort of get into this situation where it's like, okay, is the future back or is the future? You know, power forward center lineup, Okafor and Embiid, and Noel is the one who gets traded.
1: And the other thing is, I mean, can you, I don't know if you can play two bigs if neither of them can shoot at least mid range, you know, and so Mm -hmm. at at that point, um, I don't know. My impression, Sam, is that they still don't have the franchise guy. They don't. And until they get that guy figuring out how the, the possible pieces, I mean, as long as the ownership is committed to, Hinky's process the idea being like hey we're gonna keep cashing in until we get a until we get a franchise guy
2: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. um and if you know if they were minnesota and they had won those lotteries and they had wiggins and uh towns like they'd be like okay we're on our way
0: wish we had wiggins and towns man you think
1: oh god Uh, or even if they had just gotten Towns, if they're like, okay, he's the franchise guy. I know. So we can keep um, one of Jaleel or uh, Nerlin's mm-hmm. to be a part-time sidekick and a part-time backup. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to trade these other guys and find some a point guard and some wing players. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems the reason that nothing really fits together is because there's nothing – they seem to think that there's nothing worth – fitting.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you think like right like is Jaleel Okafor that guy is he your franchise guy? Can we say that?
1: Um, I guess we have to define that term. Like a <laughs> franchise guy means um the t- the guy you're going to build your team around? Then no, I don't think so.
0: Okay. Okay. I you're- don't think
1: a big. I don't think a big who can't defend or shoot the three. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Kevin Love, I'm not sure you can call him a franchise guy.
0: Ooh, that's a good point.
1: You no, know, and he's, again, a big who doesn't who doesn't protect the rim. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just sort of like a tough thing. The franchise guy means he might be one of three big pieces, like mm-hmm. Clay Thompson or like mm-hmm. Tony Parker was, mm-hmm. that he might be a franchise guy in that mm-hmm. definition. But if you're saying a franchise guy is, you know, one of the 10 or 15 players in the league, when you're like, okay, if we have him, we build around him. And if we put the right pieces around him, we'll be a playoff team and in time, uh, you know a top a top five or top eight, you know the the, the sort of a larger circle of contenders, yeah, like a Clippers um, or Toronto, you know, someone who's in the larger circle of contenders, then I don't know if you could say he's gonna be the best player on that team.
0: Yeah, and you
1: know something there Dur- really- was a big who couldn't protect the rim, yeah. And they went to the fun, but again, that that was sort of built perfectly. And but he could shoot, though. Yes, he could shoot. So, you
0: know, and something else that kind of comes out with uh, this team is is so many is so many unknowns. Uh, we're looking for perennial all stars, and the truth is, I don't know if we found that with any of these guys. And I think that. Hinky is really hoping that he could sort of cash in on one of these uh, big draft picks, and we've been going year after year. We've been drafting some guys. And you know the other tough part is that there are entire draft years where you know they sort of had to be like, listen, we're just going to sort of be patient. I mean, there was a draft year where they took Joel Embiid and they took Dario Saric, and neither right. of those guys had played a single minute for the Sixers, and that was two years ago. So that's it's tough when you're doing a rebuilding process and you're just not seeing the guys on the court. Right. I So I do agree with you in the sense that I feel like Okafor— is probably going to be the guy who will be with them for some time. But I almost sense that Okafor is going to be maybe the key piece of a trade that maybe brings the guy who's going to be the more so centerpiece franchise guy onto the team. Right. Uh, if not a trade, then maybe maybe they let him walk in the offseason or something, or they trade him for – you know uh, assets uh, or something the Al
1: Jefferson piece and the Kevin Garnett trade to Boston exactly this is clearly a step back but it's a good enough player that we feel like we can make this move if we're also getting another prospect and we're also getting draft picks Mm -hmm. um but again uh, Sam I take it that you don't think the Sixers are going to be doing that until they have um some of the pieces already in place.
0: I completely agree. And I mean, this has
1: been the resistance to, to signing veterans like Ishmith and Elton brand. It's like, what we're not, we're not even going to do that until we feel like there's something we want to accelerate.
2: Yes. And 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 now
1: there's still nothing that they want to accelerate. They're they're taking their best shots with the, the draft, um, the draft picks they're getting on mm-hmm. um, the what extra picks do they have they have the los angeles pick they have
0: the los angeles pick which they might not get lost it's it's top, top three, three protected and the lakers might also come in with like the first or second pick this season right. and it'll be the second year in a row where the lakers get to keep that pick
1: and they have another what is it do they get milwaukee's pick no milwaukee yeah. traded them the lakers pick as the when the michael carter williams trade They have extra picks. They do have
0: extra You keep talking. I'm looking up the picks
1: right now. So we know that they have some extra picks. And I think the other thing that's complicated about this is, um, I mean, of course, the best way to get that kind of superstar is to get him at the top of the draft. Yeah. But there's so many guys who don't. Kawhi Leonard was 15. Mm -hmm. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo was Mm -hmm. in the teens. I think Rudy Gobert for Utah was in the 20s. Mm-hmm. So, um, even if the, these picks that they have from other teams aren't picks that land in the top five or the top ten, I think the more shots that you can take in the first round in general increases your likelihood that you may turn up uh, a player who's drafted in the teens or drafted in the 20s, who nevertheless ends up being a huge, huge piece. And, you know, that's
0: I think that's been the strategy from the Sixers all along, is trying, you know, Hinky has been hoarding and putting together these trade, you know, these these draft picks like assets since the very beginning. And now we're finally getting into this place. Cause this is what's crazy now that, okay, I got it. Okay. Sixers 2016 first round draft pick from golden state, 2016 first round draft pick from the Lakers 2016 first round draft pick from Miami 2016 first round draft pick from Oklahoma says one, two, three, four, five first
1: round picks. Is that accurate? Well, some of those have, pre- I mean, we know the LA one has protection.
0: LA one has. I'm just looking at it being like, holy shit, matter. are That'll you kidding
1: good. me? So that's five picks. So there's your, you got to have a new starting five.
0: Well, is it here? Miami's first fab round pick five.
1: is. You remember Michigan's Fab Five? They're all freshmen. They still made the title game. That's <laughs> like the Sixers next year. They're going to start five rookies
0: the fab sixers
1: yeah they're going to be yeah the fab sixers
0: now it looks like a handful of these picks are protected but i think they'll probably be getting a couple of them at least i mean listen if 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 the bo- if the ping pong balls bounce correctly then they should actually be um uh, they should actually be getting that high lakers pick that would really be a coup for them
1: yes um they would well, they need that to fall outside the top to fall four, right?
0: I believe it needs to be four if it's anything okay. above that. So,
1: um, I heard this on, a, on another podcast, and I'll ask you, uh, Please. Rosenberg if you're, if you're a Sixers fan, I would am you rather Have um, would you rather have picks two and four or pick one?
0: Mm, you know, um. So let let's say um, I mean we're talking about this draft with Ben Simmons. I guess I would want the first pick. I think that's what they said. I
1: forget who this was. This was maybe a Zach Lowe podcast or um, I love me some Zach Lowe podcast. Or the, the Yahoo, Adrian Woj. Woj. But it was yeah, and so so I thought that was interesting. So it's like so you would you would be okay losing the Lakers pick, saying or or let's say the, so would you rather have the Sixers get one, the Lakers get two, so you lose the Laker pick. Mm-hmm versus uh, the Sixers get two, the Lakers get four, so you get to keep both. Mm-hmm. I guess you'd say, like, this, if this is the Ben Simmons draft, let's go get Ben Simmons. He's also a big, isn't he? I mean, he's a big— He's with, also a big. That's the tough but, part. But, I mean, that's the case. You get him, and then you see what you can get for Noel or for mm-hmm. or for whatever, I mean, if he, if he really is uh, as advertised. And now— with The other thing p- is you can't, Sam, you guys can't— you can't package these picks— no. because if someone like Kevin Love or DeMarcus Cousins comes onto the trade market mm-hmm. even if you have the best package with picks and young guys, the Sixers are so far away yeah that those guys won't want to come there and I think no. that's that's sort of the disadvantage of what the they've Sixers been doing is what Boston is doing which is sort of this rebuild on the fly mm-hmm. where they're collecting assets but they're still uh, finding good value with veteran signings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like um, I mean, the Crow- David
0: Lee signing did not work out, so we can't use that. No, as but an did example. Not work
1: out. and They sent him on his way. But you know, Crowder has a really great contract. Um,
0: and Crowder is not even necessarily a veteran. I think Crowder is blossoming now on Boston.
1: Right. And so you, so you have those guys locked up. So if you are Cousins or Love, and you might be traded, you can look at Boston and say, like, I could be the best player on that team, and that yeah. team contend. Yeah. So I could be the superstar on a contending team, like all the all the pieces are there around me. So I think like Philadelphia, I mean I mean, as you as a Sixers fan, are you ready to start signing guys as free agents? I, mean, agent I go- am
0: very much ready. I feel like this process, I was believing in the process in the first couple of years, but it's been so tough to swallow over the last season simply because you kind of wanted to see some progress. You wanted to see these sure. draft picks, you wanted to see some improved play. you wanted to see some W's. While they were still following this process and saying, "Listen, we're gutting the team. We're not spending money. We're not signing guys." But hopefully, the guys that we bring in are going to start, you know, building some chemistry and playing better. That hasn't happened at all. The team has continued to lose, you know, more games than any other team in the league over the last couple of years. Right. And the young guys, and this is something I've mentioned time and time again with the with bringing in Jerry Colangelo and why this impetus happened. There was a there was sort of a I don't want to say a self-destructive but a a dysfunctional culture happening in Philadelphia in the sense that the, nobody was growing. The young guys weren't learning what it meant to play on a team. They didn't have any veterans around them to sort of offer some guidance. There wasn't any real I don't want to say punishment for losing, but there wasn't any consequence. There was an expectation to lose. So Heads aren't rolling now that the Sixers are have officially lost 60-plus games this season. And, you know, I'm really expecting some type of growth. But nerlands Noel, I've seen some of it. Jaleel Okafor was his rookie year. Joel Embiid's not on the floor. Every other guy who's been on the team has since been traded. You know, the only other pseudo-blue-chip guy, you know, who could have been that was Michael Carter-Williams, and they moved on from him. And I'm not necessarily thinking that Michael Carter Williams is the solution. I think he's certainly having his own problems in Milwaukee, but he was a young, talented guy who probably could have stayed on this team a little bit longer and offered them.
1: Isn't that the idea is that, I mean, they got a first round pick for him. They did. And a pretty high first round pick. And he's coming off the bench in Milwaukee. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, I, I feel like that was the thing that, I mean, it's, it's clearly making you as a Sixers fan impatient, but the idea yeah. is like, hey, if Michael Carter-Williams isn't the answer, we're not going to pretend he's the answer. And I mean, if our, we can get a first-round
0: pick for him right now while his value is high, let's do it.
1: We're going to return it to the store and wait until we find something that we really like. And you know um, that's... and if you're at the Thunder and your picks end up being Durant and Harden and Westbrook, and that's what you get, oh, boom, man. boom, boom, like, oh, that's the nucleus. Damn. And, you know, if... Philadelphia had gotten, um, you know, Towns and Wiggins or Towns and Parker or, uh, or, or Prazingis and whoever. Like, if, if they had, if it had fallen so that they had gotten those guys and, like, oh no, these are the pieces, they would be moving forward. Mm-hmm. But until they're sure that one of the guys they have on a rookie contract is a potential all star, or maybe even two of the guys they have on rookie contracts are potential all stars, I think they're going to keep, um, keep cashing it back in and, and- doing what they're doing. Yeah, d- finding another hand. Um, to uh, shift
0: gears slightly with the Sixers, um, this is a question I'd like to ask just about everyone I speak with. I think it's a good one. The, two of the bright spots, in my opinion, for the Sixers, or at least from a chemistry standpoint, have been Ish Smith and Nerlens Noel. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Nerlens, you know, God bless him. He's been on the team long enough. He's, he's starting to find his game enough that he's becoming, you know, very quietly a dependable, you know, role player and piece on that Sixers team. I think he's going to be someone who at least, you know, will be in there for the long haul. Maybe he's not going to be the centerpiece of the team, but he's going to be, I think, a key team. He kind of makes me right. think of Samuel D'Alembert. You know, he's just going to be right. – He's going to be one of the big men who's on that roster for a good six or seven seasons before he goes anywhere. Right. Um, and I like his growth. I, you know, I would love for him to be more of an offensive powerhouse, but that's just not his game. And he's, he's also he's just not big. He's not a big guy. He's long. He's skinny. Right. Um, Ish Smith coming to the team. Now, I love this. I think Ish Smith is a, is a great point guard. Uh, I think he's, he's sneaky good. Uh, I think he's gotten a little bit of a reputation that he's kind of a backup. He's not as good as these top-tier point guards. But he kind of he makes me get that Chauncey Billups feel. That uh. facilitator. Comes in, I like to call the point guard the quarterback sometimes, he kind of comes in and just, he knows where to get the ball at the right times to sort of facilitate the offense, which was something the Sixers were desperate for, really, ever since they moved on from Michael Carter Williams, and this offseason, you know, Ish Smith was on the team last year, and they didn't bring him back, they let him walk. Uh, I think he he was in a training. Ca- By the way, if you ever want to find something interesting, look where Ish Smith has played in his career. He's been all around. He's played with the Warriors. He's played with the Thunder. You know, granted, he hasn't been on any of these franchises for a particularly long time, but the guy's played with Steph Curry. The guy's played with Kevin Durant. Like, he's played with some of the biggest names in this league at this point. Right. Um, and I think he's got some dependable point guard play, um, but, you know, couldn't find a roster. And the Sixers let him go, but. When Jerry Colangelo came on board with the Sixers right before Christmas time this, uh, this season, one of the first moves he did was go to New Orleans and scoop up Ish Smith and insert him into the starting lineup. And what you see is you see just what simply having a point guard on the court, a competent point guard, can do for this Sixers team. Right. Uh, so part of this discussion started is I want to bring up New Noel, and Ish Smith because I do think they're probably the two guys on the team that are showing, giving everyone the most hope for optimism. You know, Julia Lokafor is a very high ceiling. Some of these uh, Dario Saric, I'm sure all these guys have high ceilings. The guys who are really showing it to me, like, yeah, yeah, get, put them on the court more. I want to see them play more, is Ish Smith and Nerland Noel, and it's the inside outside game. It's Smith right. bringing the ball up getting the ball to Noel. It's the alley-oops. It's Smith being able to actually handle the ball, being able to steal it, being able to pass it. You know, before this, they really were working with Isaiah Kanan and TJ McConnell. And I just think that, uh, you know, these guys have brought, or specifically Smith being inserted has brought so much to the team. And enough, aside from, I'm just ranting because I love these guys, but my question for you would be, you know, could Ish Smith... Be a future sort of long term answer for the Sixers. You know, m- maybe they get a superstar two guard. Like, what if you know, like, what if they got Dwayne Wade or Kobe Bryant or something like that? This is just theoretical. Right, that pressure. kind of player. Yeah, and do you think that Ish Smith could be your point guard to sort of complement that guy? What do you think?
1: I'm looking at his stats, and you're right. I counted. He's played for nine teams in five years. <laughs> I have it uh, He's been around. <laughs> there's only been one season that he hasn't played for two teams in the same season. That was 2013, 2014. He spent the whole year in Phoenix. I'm not sure if it's three point shooting. Mm. And usually when you are gonna pair an off-the-ball point guard with a ball dominant wing, mm-hmm. you want that off the ball point guard to be able to spot up. Mm. And so this may be the reason why Ish has not, has been playing in a backup role for most of his career is Mm. that, you you know, so usually if you want like the Mario Chalmers Mm -hmm. type player, the Damon Jones type player, you go back to those Cleveland teams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you want them to be able to spot up and shoot. And at least looking at the stats I just brought up um, when you were talking about how many teams he's played for. Yeah. He's, about, he's a career 28% three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. This year for Philadelphia, he's shooting more. He's 29 for 94 in the year, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, above 30, just above 30%. Sure. Um, but it's still about, you know, what, two a game yeah. um, or, you know, two, two and a half a game. He is not stroking it from beyond the arc. Right. So um, if he learns to do that, he could be a fit. Um, but, I mean, if he is a long-term player for Philadelphia, it looks like he would probably be um, – unless there are spot-up shooters around him. If you have a two and a three who are spot-up shooters, you know, and he's he's making shots for those guys. But um, the Rayjean Rondo is an endangered species.
0: Yeah, I agree. I
1: completely agree. You know, like if you're a guard who needs the ball in their hands, but you yourself can't score, like that's yeah. just not – Really happening now. He can run a pick and roll with with um, these Sixers bigs and, mm-hmm. and feed the post. So it seems that he definitely has a role there and is clearly a step up on T.J. McConnell.
0: I agree. I agree. But
1: um, you know, other than helping their development, I never saw him as being anything long term other than helping the development of those bigs. So this yeah. bigs. Oh, this is what it's like to play with the point guard. Yeah. Um, so this so now I'm actually being put in NBA situations because my point guard can get me the ball or, my, you know, my point guard can run an offense,
0: which really wasn't the case before because you had Canaan and McConnell just I mean, they were turning the ball over a lot. Turnovers have been an issue with the Sixers all season. yeah. Uh, It's just, it's, it's tough. It's tough to sort of take a litmus test of how exactly, how well things are going. Right. uh, You know, when you're, when you're just caught in this deep quagmire of a 60 plus lost season and not just this season, but the last couple of years. Right. I also have
1: Ish's card up here online. You know, he's 27. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So by the time Jaleel and Nerlens or whoever else is there is, is around like 23, 24. Mm Mm-hmm. Issues thirty or thirty one, at which yeah. point you probably feel like some of that quickness has gone. Yeah, and, you and they're wonder, already going to be looking for a different solution at point guard, right? And so you wonder what what um, and then the other thing you wonder is is it, will it if they resign him? Is he a free agent? Do you know?
0: I'm sh- I believe he is. He only gets one year contracts. I, I
1: guarantee. I highly I doubt he gets half year contracts because every single year his contract expires and he's on another team that same year. But oh he God. um, it's like. If they re-sign him for three years, or something,
2: mm-hmm.
1: might a team trade for him? Mm. You know what I mean. If there is there an Oklahoma City where you can say like, hey, like he he could play with Westbrook, with Westbrook as the two, yeah, back up Westbrook, or like Chris Paul doesn't really have a backup, yeah. And so it's like, can you say, can you like, it, would there ever be a situation where a contender would need a, a backup point guard or a part time solution at point guard, and maybe they could get something for him?
0: I mean, I really, I totally believe that he would be a good fit for that scenario. Like, you know, if Cleveland needed a backup point guard, if Miami, like, right? I mean, he'd be great.
1: 15 minutes, high energy, sort of change yeah. of pace type of guard. Get
0: out there, break a few ankles in the third and fourth quarter when the starters for the other team are fatigued and he's all fresh right. legs.
1: I'll say this: So you know, I follow Ish Smith was a Wake Forest guy, so I followed him a little bit when he was in college because he was an ACC guy, and I yeah. got a lot of family who are big Wake Forest fans. Mm-hmm. And if you told me uh, back in two thousand nine when he was a senior at Wake or two thousand ten when he was a senior at Wake that in six years I'd be talking about Ish Smith on an NBA <laughs> podcast, I would say definitely not. So he's done well for himself. Yeah, man, give the man
0: some credit. Ishmael Smith has made a name for himself, especially yeah. with a name like Ishmael.
1: Yeah. Call him uh, Ishmael. I, call him. <laughs> I,
0: was just, I was thinking the same thing. Moby Dick. Um, <laughs> Moby Dick jokes, yeah. <laughs> Moby Dick jokes. They're, they're rare. Um, right. Last thing I'll ask about the Sixers. Um, okay. As of today, they have uh, – or at least I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, I'm sure they'll play a few more games uh, before uh, this airs on Saturday. But uh, do the Sixers make it to ten wins this season? They've got nine so
1: far. Can I look up the schedule? Sure. Yeah. Let's pull up the schedule the remaining schedule.
0: Let's see exactly who else they've got to play. I'm, I think they have a couple. I know they're playing the Bucks because I'm going to the Bucks game on uh, on April 10th. That's right. April 10th, Sunday, April 10th. If you still want to win tickets to come to the game with me, listen to my trivia question at the end of the show. I'm giving away tickets to come to the game. Everyone's going to be in the club box. OK, it's going to be the last home game is Sunday, April 10th. OK, the um... Bucks.
1: I got. see at Denver, at Portland, at Golden State, home Charlotte. I think that's tough. Mm. At Charlotte, home Indiana. Home New Orleans, Tuesday, April 5th. What about the Denver game? They could they could scoop
0: up Denver. Uh,
1: yeah, th- at Denver. That's the tricky thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, home New Orleans, Tuesday, April 5th. Yeah, St. without, Davis without Anthony Davis. Yeah, there's a chance there. Home Knicks, April 8th. They may have shut it down. I don't think they have a first-round pick this year, so probably not. Yeah. Um, I think that's, your, those are your real shots. Okay. Unless they're at the bulls, the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. Chicago is, if it's, if they're definitely out of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll,
0: they'll be it. benching Jimmy Butler and Derek Rose and Pau Gasol.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think
0: we're saying, you know, we're, we're giving ourselves the benefit saying of the doubt. there's a chance. I'm, so you're
1: saying there's a chance? Oh, well, I really, I guess I'm following the Warriors and Spurs a lot. I'm looking at your schedule. I didn't realize you guys had lost so many games. Oh
0: my God, dude, it's...
1: You guys are 0-18. Where yeah, was
0: I? We've had, I Followed think... Followed the Warriors' through... win streak. You were 1-30. Dude, we're something like, I think we've had three 12-game losing streaks this season. You know, I talk to my dad and he always sort of reflects on, he's like, I saw the worst, you know, regular season record ever was the 73 Sixers or the 72 Sixers. They, They were something like nine and 62. And I'm sort of like, yeah, we're kind of, that's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, setting new lows for, for terribleness. That's it. Dude, it's just, it's just been
1: rough. It's been really rough. Yeah, sorry about
0: that, man. That's okay. It's okay. I appreciate the love, but I think that's the long and the short of it. Here, uh, I'm gonna sign us off. Um, uh, Jonathan, thanks for for coming on the show today. It Was so great to have you.
1: Likewise, Sam. Always a pleasure.
0: And uh, here I'm gonna do. I'm gonna plug your uh, your website, SmithStreetStage.org. SmithStreetStage.org. Doing uh, classical and Shakespeare, uh, cla- uh, Shakespeare and classical shows in uh, public spaces. And, and
1: what all public spaces in
0: Brooklyn—they always in
1: public. No, I mean we've had shows in Manhattan and workshops in Manhattan. We did an off-Broadway run of uh, *Christmas Carol* at the Pearl. Oh uh, yeah. Year before last, and so we've we've uh, sort of uh, have, 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 have bounced around and continued to grow. But we started we started with public spaces. We started in Carroll Park. But yeah, cl- classic stories for uh for the modern age. That's Smith Street Stage.
0: SmithStreetStage.org. I'm gonna keep plugging it. Gonna keep plugging it. Um. All right, hang on one second. Nice little pause so I can edit it later. Now I'm going to do a send-off uh, for the podcast because I can edit that later too. Um, Jonathan, this uh, by the way, I used that for – I'm going to kind of finish that off um, for the radio show. I'm just going to edit all this. Okay. Um, so I'll do a, a final sort of goodbye for our podcast as well. Um, here we go. Whew. Jonathan, that was awesome, dude. Dude, I love talking basketball with you. I'm so glad you reached out to me to get me on the mic. I, insane,
1: for sure, for sure.
0: I felt like, like I said, I felt like you were just reading my mind at that moment because I have been wanting to get you back, and your timing has been excellent. It's been too long. We got to have you back on more often. Uh, thank you for taking the time today um, talking about my Sixers as well as your Spurs. Um, I'm going to, as always, uh, listen to my podcast. Come to my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station is the Facebook page. Like me on Facebook. You can also listen to my uh, podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Um, email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com, S-M-A-S-S-P-O-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. It's real easy, guys. Uh, and uh, Jonathan,
1: stage.org But is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, no, just smithstreetstage.org and our Tempest, which is going to be coming up uh, before you know it, this summer in Brooklyn's Carroll Park. Do we have uh, the dates yet? Uh, opening night is June 8th. I think our first preview is June 8th. Oh, okay. That's good. Uh, right. Yeah. Start off the summer.
0: Right. That's what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Jonathan, you're the best. Love having you on the show. And, uh, we're going to definitely going to have you on soon enough.
1: Playoffs, Sam. Playoffs, Playoffs baby. Playoffs. Playoffs. Playoffs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to win a game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jonathan. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on the show. I'll see you, Sam. Mm-hmm.